Today, we're going to begin a new series called God, the Holy Spirit. You know, one of our prayers for 2024 is that here at Enon Baptist Church is that we would begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible has so much to say about the Holy Spirit and how much we need Him and His ministry in our lives. You know, it is through the Holy Spirit that the Lord leads us to overcome sin daily, to worship God faithfully, to enlighten our reading of God's Word, and for us to complete the mission of God for our lives. The Holy Spirit is so important that in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord said to His people, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And so we desperately need the Holy Spirit here at Indian Baptist Church. Uh, Pastor and author Francis Chan spoke once about the importance of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said. He said, if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, I remember hearing a story from a dear friend of mine, uh, Brother Jamie Fish. He is a minister at Bellevue, and he kind of grew up there, and he grew up under Dr. Adrian Rogers' ministry. Many of you know Dr. Rogers. You can still hear him preaching today on Love Worth Finding. A prince of preachers. God used him in great ways. And Jamie had a special relationship with Dr. Rogers. And towards the end of his life, when he was nearing going home to be with the Lord, Jamie said he sat down next to Dr. Rogers' bed one day, and he asked him this question. He said, Dr. Rogers, do you have any regrets in ministry? And he said, Dr. Rogers paused for a moment and pondered his question, and this is what he said. He said, I wish I would have taught more on the Holy Spirit. Now, now Jamie, who had sat under Dr. Rogers' preaching ministry for years, responded saying, Dr. Rogers, I feel like you've taught a great deal about the Holy Spirit. And he said, Dr. Rogers quietly responded, yes, but there's still so much more that could be said. And friends, I believe that's where we are this morning, and that's what we're praying for in the weeks ahead, is that there's so much more to be said about the Holy Spirit, and we want to talk about that. Now, the reasons why it's so important is because most Christians can struggle with the Holy Spirit in different ways. And, and let me give you two major ways that I believe that Christians struggle with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. First, some people overlook the ministry of the Holy Spirit altogether. Now, traditionally speaking, us Baptists, we struggle with that. Now, let me say this. I love being a Baptist. But that being said, sometimes we can overlook the Holy Spirit altogether. I heard somebody say one time that as Baptists, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. You know, that we kind of bypass the Holy Spirit altogether. And when we overlook the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it can look like we can give intellectual assent to the Holy Spirit. You can say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I see Him in Scripture. But in all practicality, the Holy Spirit has no impact in your life. Or if He does, you don't even really know how to describe it or what you're asking for when you're asking for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of times when we don't understand things, we just overlook it altogether. And then some people, they confuse the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of Christians who have a very unscriptural view of the Holy Spirit and how He operates in their lives. This can at times cause people to be led towards emotionalism and attribute things to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit didn't have anything to do with. My brother said this once, that the the Holy Spirit is not weird, people are weird. And weird people give weird things credit to the Holy Spirit. But sadly, when that happens, then people can turn away from the Holy Spirit because they begin to be cynical 
about his ministry. And this is what I believe has led to a theological position known as cessationists. If you don't know what a cessationist is, a cessationist is somebody who believes that the supernatural works of the Holy Spirit that we see in the Bible, that they ceased to exist at the death of the apostles. Well, as Brother John Hembright used to say, there's a Greek word for that, hogwash. Because the reality is there is no scriptural support at, at all to say that the Holy Spirit of God and His powerful working has ceased. So listen, this confusion in the Holy Spirit can sometimes lead to false fire and then overlooking the Holy Spirit can lead to no fire. And so both of these sides are things that Christians must avoid. And so today, our hopes is in the next several weeks as we walk into this series, not only would we become more biblically and doctrinally educated about the Holy Spirit, but also, friends, that we would become more intimately affiliated with the Holy Spirit. We want you, and when I say we, God wants you to know Him more. God wants you to experience Him more. And one of the key ways that He does that is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, the title of our message is we're going to start at the beginning and we're going to look at the existence of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're looking at Mark chapter 1. Now, this is important to know the background, the book of Mark. So the gospel of Mark was given to us. This is the oldest gospel, the oldest recording uh, story, a narrative of the life of Jesus. And it was given to the earliest church there, and it was given to a church in Rome that was going through a great season of persecution. So as we read it this morning, I want you to notice how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So if you can this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locust and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water... But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens saying, You are my beloved Son and you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray this morning. Father, I ask truly, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear. I believe that you're here right now. And God, I believe that you want to reveal yourself to your people. So we say, speak, O Lord. Speak, Father. I pray, would you put your words in my mouth and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, church, I want you to imagine this for a moment. You are the very first Christian church there. You are just a few decades out from Jesus dying on the cross. You are living in Rome, and you are 
being persecuted immensely. Church history shows us that Christians were not only being being crucified by Romans, but their bodies were being lit on fire. That there are some historical records that say that Christians were the candles that lit Rome in those days. And so finally, these Christians receive the very first inspired book of the New Testament. They have the Old Testament, but this is the very first inspired scripture that's given to them in the Gospel of Mark. And they read Mark chapter 1. And Mark chapter 1 highlights several things there. It highlights John leading up to Jesus. It highlights Jesus beginning his ministry. But it also makes very clear in putting the Holy Spirit front and center. If you are a persecuted Christian in that moment, the first few verses that you read of this newly inspired gospel is to put front and center the importance of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you were in that first church, one of the main things that you would have heard is that the Holy Spirit is a big deal. And so that being said, today I want to look all over Scripture and I want to give you some basic truths about the existence of Of the Holy Spirit. And so, if you're keeping notes today, the first question we must answer today is Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, the simple answer for the question to say, Who is the Holy Spirit? is to say, The Holy Spirit is God. Now, a foundational belief for all Christians, all Orthodox Christians, is to believe in what is referred to as the Trinity, which is the fact that God is manifested in three persons God the Father, God the Son, And God the Holy Spirit. Now, the Trinity is a mysterious theology and it can be confusing at times. And so let me give you three statements that if somebody were to say to you today, Pastor Zach, you know, what is the Trinity? You could you could give these statements and give a biblical understanding of the Trinity that's accurate. So, first, we need to know that God is three persons: God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see moments in Scripture where there is reference to the other persons in the Trinity. In fact, we see that this morning in our text. The Bible says there when Jesus was baptized, and we see this in the other Gospels, that you have God the Son in the water. And as He comes up out of the water, you have God the Holy Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And then the heavens open and the voice of God the Father speaks down and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so we need to know that the Trinity, when we look at who the Trinity is, is that God is three persons. Secondly, we need to know that each person in the Trinity is fully God. Now, a biblical understanding of the Trinity is not that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit make up God. But rather a biblical understanding of the Trinity is that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. Friends, if you were in the presence of Jesus when He walked on this earth in the New Testament, you were not in the presence of part of God, you were in the presence of God Himself. If we say this morning as believers that the Holy Spirit is living within you, you don't have part of God in you, you have God living in you. In you. And so God is three persons. Each person in the Trinity is fully God. And finally, we need to know that there is one God. Now, we need to remember that even though God is fully represented in three persons who are all equally God, there is still only one God. As Christians, we do not serve three gods, but rather we worship and serve one God who is fully manifested in three persons 
the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we see this throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, in the Holy Shema, there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as Moses is giving his people his final commands before they go into the promised land, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, can you say it? One. The Lord is one. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we see the Apostle Paul referring to the oneness of God, saying there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And even James says in James chapter 2, verse 19, You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, church, trying to understand the Trinity can be difficult. Now, there are many people who've tried to illustrate, illustrate the Trinity, and they all fall short. I want you to know this. Even the name itself, Trinity, is not a biblical term. You don't find that in Scripture. It's just an attempt to try to describe God in three persons. God in three persons is more than one person who carries three titles, like, a, like I am dad, I am father, and I am pastor. That, that example does not fully depict and explain who God is. God is more than just the three leaves on the same clover plant. Friends, sometimes we must accept that certain things are true because we see them in Scripture, even if we don't fully understand it. We have to know what Scripture says in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. But for our purposes this morning, we need to understand that according to the Bible, we need to know that the Holy Spirit is God. I've even had people ask me implications of this before. So, Pastor, if the Holy Spirit is God, then does that mean that I can or I should pray to the Holy Spirit or even give praise to the Holy Spirit? And that's a, that's a good question. And it really brings us back to the fact that if we really believe that the Holy Spirit is God, that He is fully expressed as God, then absolutely we can pray to the Holy Spirit and we can give praise to Him. You know, when we think about giving prayer and praise to the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, knowing that there's one God who is fully displayed in three persons, you know, sometimes that can be confusing, but think of it this way. It doesn't matter what name you put on the envelope, it's all going to the same address, okay? In fact, one of the oldest Protestant hymns was written in the mid-1600s, and it is still being sung in churches today, and it is referred to as the doxology. And it shows us that for hundreds of years, the Christian church has praised all three persons of the Godhead or the Trinity. In fact, hey, just let's do that this morning. Can we sing the doxology to the Lord this morning? The words are going to be on the screen. Uh, I will lead us here. So let's sing unto the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's give the Lord a big hand right there. Praise the Lord. By the way, you sound wonderful, church. So that's good for you to know. So again, the first thing we need to know today is who is the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is God. The second question we must answer today is where is the Holy Spirit? 
Now, when we think about where is the Holy Spirit, we've got to remember now that God is not bound by spatial confines in the same way that we as humans are. And since the Holy Spirit is God, neither is He. It's actually a beautiful thing to think about right now. We are worshiping the Lord Jesus here at 724 Morris Majestic Road in Morris, Alabama at Enon Baptist Church. And the Holy Spirit is here with us. But also, right now, All over the world, as Christians gather on the Lord's Day, on Sundays, to worship the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit is just as fully present right there with them. And so when we think about where the Holy Spirit is, there is, and where God and the Godhead is, it it, it can be mysterious, but there are some clues that God has given us in Scripture not to really make God stay in that box, but I think in a lot of ways just to, to help us see the realms in which God operates. The Bible says that God the Father is presently in heaven and is seated on his holy throne. We see this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, when Jesus taught us to pray. Pray then like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is why when we sing to God, we can sing songs like, He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. God the Father is in heaven. The Bible also shows us that God the Son, Jesus, He was on earth in bodily form. One day He's coming back to this earth in a glorified bodily form. But right now the Bible says that He is seated at the right hand of Father. He also is in heaven Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 speaks about after Jesus died on the cross, it says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In fact, other places in the New Testament will show us that Jesus is presently seated at the right hand of the Father and he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Jesus is praying for us even right now. But then the Bible also shows us That there's a lot that we can know about where the Holy Spirit is located today. Essentially, we know that the Holy Spirit is God and He is presently located on this earth. In fact, if you look throughout the Scriptures, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is almost exclusively seen in this realm, on, on this planet, with us as God's people. We see this even at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Even at the very beginning, God the Holy Spirit was near. We'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but all throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit of God coming upon God's people and empowering them for specific works. But then we also see that Jesus promised a new measure of the ministry of the Holy Spirit on this earth after he ascended back to the Father. So let me give you a few specifics about where the Holy Spirit is today. First, we need to know that God the Spirit is everywhere. He's everywhere. When we refer to the omnipresence of God, meaning God is all present, we're primarily talking about That being the case through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is manifested at all places at all times. When Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, And lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. He is talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit who will manifest God's presence to us. 
Theologian Wayne Grudem defines the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. The work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world. Friends, when we talk about inviting the presence of God into our lives, inviting the presence of God into our church, when you've been in those moments where God was near, what was happening was that the Holy Spirit was making His presence known to you. In Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10, the psalmist speaks about how God the Spirit is everywhere at all times. I love this passage. I I quote this passage often in difficult moments in my life. Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There you see the connection of the presence of God and the Spirit of God. If I send into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Friends, that should encourage us this morning as Christians that there's never any moment or place in your life where God through the Holy Spirit is not there. There's no season in your life, no place you can go, no hardship that you can face where the Holy Spirit cannot get to you. Secondly, We know that God the Holy Spirit is indwelling Christians. Now, while God the Holy Spirit is everywhere at all times, the Bible makes it clear that He is uniquely manifested inside the Christian, those who have been born again. Jesus spoke about this in John 14, 16 through 17. He said, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. Which, by the way, there's the Trinity again. The Son talking about the Father and the Spirit. That he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. Listen to this. And will be in you. See, Jesus is living in the in-between moment between how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament versus how He's about to start working. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was with you. In the New Testament, He's about to come and live inside of you. We'll talk about this more next week. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians, this is what John was referring to at the opening of our passage. In Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John said, I baptize you with water. But He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Friends, when we, someone truly comes to faith in Jesus, it is noticeable because God comes to live within them. They are recognizable by the fire of God. All throughout the Scripture we see about the, the Holy Spirit being a consuming fire. and He comes and lives within their lives. And then you begin to recognize that they burn for the love of God. A love of holiness, a love for others, a love to serve Him. Friends, I want you to know today that if you truly know Jesus, there will be some level of the manifestation of God living in you. By the way, this is some of the difference we see in those who truly know Jesus and those who don't. I was reading just in our one-year Bible just this last week, and Jesus was talking about the religious leaders of their day. And when we think about religious leaders and all the things that they did, the Jewish religious leaders, they did incredibly amounts of spiritual stuff every day. They had rituals of hand washings. They, They had so much spiritual stuff that they did. But Jesus spoke about these people and he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Friends, when we talk about the Christian faith, we're not talking about a faith who sees God as distant, separated from his people. We're talking about God living in his people. Finally, when we know that God the Spirit is also manifesting his presence within the church. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's indwelling his people and he's also manifesting his presence within the church. Now again, the Bible makes it clear that if you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within you individually. However, all throughout Scripture, we see where the Holy Spirit is uniquely manifested among His people when they gather together through what God invented in the church. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, this is what Jesus was referring to when He said, For where two or three have gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. What you... By the way, underline that in your Bible. I'm there. How many of us come into church on Sunday mornings and say, you know what, I'm walking in the room and Jesus is going to be there? Do we live that way? Do we let that function, the expectation, when you pull into the parking lot on Sunday mornings at Eden Baptist Church, that I'm walking to a place where Jesus is going to be? And he's going to do that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, this Bible talks about the first church and it says the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria were having peace they were built up they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and it multiplied church family if you are a Christian we've all had those moments when we've walked into gathered moments of believers with other Christians and you just knew the Holy Spirit of God was there how many of you had those moments you walk in you say God's there Can I say something? If you truly know Jesus, you can't deny it. But I also know this. If you truly know Jesus, you also know when he's not. You know when sin is abiding, when people are there for other reasons, but they're not really there to seek the Lord. But when you get a bunch of people who are hungry for Jesus, who are truly born again, and you walk in, the Holy Spirit is uniquely manifested there. And that's one of the gifts he's given to the church. Let me give you another example of that. You say, well, Pastor Zach, what does that mean? So like the Holy Spirit is only, can only manifest himself to a certain extent personally versus corporately, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Let me give you an example of that. In the New Testament, we'll talk more about this in the weeks ahead, there's several moments where you see the gifts of the Holy Spirit, God gifting his people. If you look at those gifts, virtually every one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for personal use, but they're for use in the body. They're for use to other people. So it is in the design of God that when his people come together, the Holy Spirit is going to fill his people. And by the way, there's something special when God is working even through you to minister to other people to manifest him in a special way. By the way, this is why it's so important to go to church. People say, well, Pastor Zach, man, I can love Jesus and I can be a Christian at home and not go to church. I want to tell you something. The Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit comes to church. And if you want to meet with God, you need to come to church. Let me say one more thing to you today about how the Holy Spirit is manifest in the church. Which, by the way, it's not my notes. Let's chase a little rabbit here for a moment. I had a pastor friend of mine say, it's okay if you chase a rabbit as long as you kill him quick. Okay, so. (laughs) When you come to church bearing the Holy Spirit of God within you, God specifically having gifted you, When you walk around the church on Sunday morning, before you get out of your car, you should come saying, God, if you want to use me today, 
to be your hands and feet. Show me. Let God give you eyes. Give you his eyes. You may walk by somebody and all of a sudden say, I feel like I need to turn around and ask that person, are you okay? Or maybe I need to pray for this person. Or you know what? The Lord may lay on your heart to put a hundred dollar bill in somebody's hand. God may put that in your heart. Listen, be open to that. When we start saying, God, use us, then we'll start seeing the manifestation of the Holy Spirit even more among us. But this is one more thing I want you to know about the Holy Spirit in the church. This is in the notes. I've killed the rabbit. Okay. Revelation 2.5. This is when the Lord is talking about the church at Ephesus, the church who had left their first love. And he's talking about calling them to repent. Otherwise, he's going to discipline them. Discipline them. And this is what he says. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, there are theological discussions about what the, what the lampstand, what the candlestick is there. Some theologians believe that he's talking about taking away their platform of ministry, basically their reputation of ministry. Some theologians believe that he's talking about, hey, if they don't repent, I'm going to remove your pastors and your leaders. I'm going to take the, the voices that God is using. Uh, I'm going to take them out of there because obviously you're not listening to what they have to say. And I'm not saying that those people are wrong, but what I truly believe here in this text, when the Lord is talking about if they don't repent, this is repent from not loving him, just kind of doing church, by the way. This is what he says, I'm going to remove your candlestick. I believe he's talking about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their church. All throughout scripture we see the Holy Spirit illustrated as fire and he's talking about the candlestick in the church. Friends, I want you to know something today that I believe that when a church genuinely ceases to love Jesus, genuinely ceases to be faithful to his mission, compromises the word of God, will not follow his direction, loves tradition and performance more than the presence of God. Not only do we stand at risk of God removing godly men and women, and not only do we stand at risk of God taking away our favor in the community, but I believe what should concern us the most is that the Holy Spirit of God may walk out of the room. If we could see through the eyes of God, and we could travel our nation today, I believe that we would see several churches who are having services. They are gathering. They are meeting. But God is nowhere to be found. In the eyes of the Lord, it is as if they have the Old Testament name Ichabod written on the door that says the glory has left us. Church, may we be a people who say, Lord, we want to walk in holiness. God, we want to please you. We're not going to compromise on the truths of your word to, to gather people because you could get a house full of people, but it doesn't matter if God's not in the house. In Psalms chapter 51, verse 11, may it be our prayer as a church to pray the prayer of David. Oh, Lord, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Friends, this is why we must let holiness be our God. Because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We'll talk more about that in the days ahead. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The final question we must answer today is how should my belief in the existence of the Holy Spirit affect my life? Now admittedly, there are so many different ways that the ministry of the Holy Spirit can affect our lives. But, but I want us to go back 
just to our original text this morning. Go back to Mark chapter 1, and I, I want you to see a few most foundational ways that I believe if the Holy Spirit of God is truly at work within you, these things should be real. So I want to ask you this question. As we look at these, I want you to ask, ask yourself the question. Do I see the Holy Spirit working in my life in this way? If you don't, then it's one of two things. It is either that you don't truly know Jesus, and so you've never been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You may have religion. You may have morals. That doesn't mean you have God. Or you can be a Christian who you have grieved the Holy Spirit of God. You have quenched the Holy Spirit of God. It's not that He's gone. But you have allowed other things in your life to silence his voice or to, you've ignored his voice long enough. Now it's just a whisper and you are living without the power of God in your life. The first truth we see here about how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of his people is that he's working to change people's lives. In Mark chapter 1 verse 8, I said it a moment ago, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, your friends, we'll talk more about this next week, but suffice it to say that when people put their faith in Jesus, they become immersed into God. You get baptized into God. God comes to live in your heart and life. Now, I want to ask you the question here today. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever truly been baptized into God, immersed into God. God has changed your life because you put your faith in Jesus. That's question number one. But the question number two is, you're not supposed to leave that moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to stay immersed in God, stay immersed in the Holy Spirit. And so are you quenching the Holy Spirit of God in your life? If you don't know Jesus today, friends, if you're here today or if you're watching online, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. Today, God can come into your life. All you have to do is recognize that you're a sinner. Know that you have grieved the heart of God. If you're sensing that even right now, you know that you have sinned against the Holy God. And God's beginning to awaken that within you. That alone is the Holy Spirit. And all you have to do is call out to him and repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. He will save you and he'll come to live in you right there today. Secondly, this passage shows us that when the Holy Spirit of God is at work, the existence of the Holy Spirit, that he comes to manifest his nearness to us. The Bible says that after John baptizes Jesus, that in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending on him. Now, church, this was a unique moment. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon people anymore in the form of a dove, okay? So, like, if you go home today and there's a dove sitting on the power line, you don't need to stand underneath it and say, Come thou, Holy Spirit. I mean, like, like hey, that, would, that would be weird, all right? But that's some of that stuff some of weird people do. Anyway, so hey, let's like stay away from that. But what this does show us is that even Jesus needed the nearness of the Holy Spirit in his heart and his life. He needed God in some way that we don't even fully understand he was God, but he needed God, the Holy Spirit, to be near to him. 
Church, when the Holy Spirit of God indwells us, He brings God into our hearts and lives. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, verse 28, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The psalmist would say, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Church, can I say something? As we pray this year at Enon that we would know Jesus more, we're saying we get farther away from religion that has no God in it. And we draw closer to living and abiding with a God who is near to us, who indwells His people. Friends, do you live that way today? Is God near in your heart and life? Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've kind of got hung up in some religious routine and activity and sometimes you don't just open up your Bible and just sit down and say, God, I don't feel you today. I need you. I, 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 I want to experience you. And you just wait on Him. Sometimes you just wait on Him. George Mueller said, the first business that I must attend to every day is to make my soul happy in Jesus. You know what he's talking about? That he would experience the Holy Spirit every day. That he would draw near to God. And then finally, we see in our text today that if the Holy Spirit is leading and directing, is, is in your life, He is leading and directing our lives. The Bible says that when Jesus came up out of the water and was baptized, it says immediately the Spirit impelled Him to go out into the wilderness. And He was there in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And He was with wild beasts and the angels or ministering to him. That word impelled him basically meant that, that God prompted him. It was the moving, a powerful move of the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. Now, if you know anything about the, the life of Jesus, he gets baptized, he goes into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days. Satan tempts him. But then when he leaves that moment, the Bible says, then in Luke chapter 4, it says, then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him to a place of preparation before he began his ministry. Friends, can I say something to you today? We need the work of the Holy Spirit to achieve and to accomplish God's purpose for our lives. So many of you in this room right now, you know Jesus, you're going to heaven, but your life is led so much by you. And so little by the Holy Spirit. And what's what we're going to talk about in the days ahead. How to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. That basically, you get up every day and you do the routine. And you go to work, you make a paycheck, you come home, you feed your kids. You have a little fun here and there. And you enjoy life. And, and, there's, and, and you go to church and you give. And listen, that's great. And those are all good and God-honoring things. But I just want you to know this morning, there is more. There is more. God wants to lead you. Hey, God wants to talk to you. God wants you to hear His voice. Hey, God wants to use you. The Lord may give you a dream. The Lord may speak something through Scripture that calls you to go and begin a ministry or maybe calls you to go on a mission trip or calls you to do something. And suddenly, man, God is opening up a new door for you because you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Church, He's real. He wants to lead us. D.L. Moody, he told the story about one time a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about this in the days ahead. You get the Holy Spirit, one reception, many fillings. 
And he was walking down the streets of New York and he was in a very distant place. He felt very far from God. And he said he leaned back up against a building there. People were just walking by. And he just turned his head towards heaven. And he said, God, would you let me feel your presence? He was asking for the Holy Spirit of God. And just pausing and acknowledging the Holy Spirit, he said, suddenly, the power of God just started to pour out over him. And he began to sense the love of God, began to sense the pleasure of God, began to sense the presence and the nearness of God in such a great, overwhelming way that as he wept on the streets, he prayed one more prayer to the Lord. He said, God, stay thy hand lest I die. God, I feel you so much I can't handle anymore. Friends, if you're here today and you know Jesus, but you say, I need more of God in my life. Can I just say he's waiting on you? He'll hear that prayer today. He'll hear that prayer in the weeks to come. And so I invite you in these next few minutes, you come and pray. Sit there, turn there to your seat and pray and seek the Lord and he'll find you, man, right there where you are. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin then right there where you are, you can call out to him today. And I promise you, he will enter your life and he can change you forever. He can let you experience the love of God today. If you'll call out to him, he is waiting. And he is here.